0: Hi, welcome to CIVIC's Change Agent Chat, episode 25. During these chats, we speak with change agents who are working to create a better healthcare system for us all. I'm Stephanie Spriggs with the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, or as we like to call it, CIVIC. In this chat, Peter Sheehan, CIVIC's VP of Client Solutions and State Initiatives, is speaking with Sarah Gordon, a doctoral student at Brown University. Sarah used COAPCD data to evaluate the effect of policies in the 2010 ACA on the stability of coverage among Medicaid beneficiaries in Colorado. During this chat, we learned what she discovered about the impact of these policies on coverage stability and how they could contribute to reductions in costs and improvement in, in the quality of care. We recorded this chat in October 2018. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the chat.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining Civics Change Agent Chat. I am Pete Sheehan, Civics Vice President of Business Development. Before we get started, uh, there are just a few housekeeping items to mention. The phone lines are muted, and we will be using the Q&A feature to field questions and allow you to make comments on the discussion. Questions posed will be answered during the Q&A session. The webinar is being recorded and will be posted to the CIVIC website so you may access this information again at any time without cost. Uh, Today, we've got the pleasure of speaking with Sarah Brown, a doctoral candidate from Brown University. Uh, Sarah's work evaluates policies that impact disadvantaged populations with a particular focus on the effects of health insurance reform on access, quality, and disparities in health care. Sarah, would you care to say a few words about yourself?
2: Sure, so yes, my name is Sarah Gordon. I'm so excited to be here to talk about some of the work that I've been doing in partnership with Civic and using the Colorado All-Payer Claims Database.
1: Wonderful, well thank you. Uh, We're very pleased to have you this this morning or afternoon, depending on what part of the country you're in. Um, Can you share a little bit about the inspiration for this project?
2: Sure, so um, the inspiration for this project is really that the benefits of any type of insurance, it can really only be realized if that coverage is continuous, accessible, and high quality. So this project really focuses on the first of those, the continuous piece. And in insurance in the US, there's a long-standing issue of um, churning, which has been well-documented, which basically refers to moving in and out in between different types of health insurance. Um, so this type of gap or transition in health insurance has been shown to have detrimental effects on the health of insurance beneficiaries because losing coverage temporarily limits your access to care. You can imagine that for someone who relies on prescription drugs or consistent mental health treatment, for example, a lapse in coverage can be uh, hugely disruptive. Research has also shown that those with Medicaid coverage are more likely to be diagnosed with cancer later and are less likely to receive benefits. Um, not to mention the fact that if one does seek care uh, during a lapse in coverage, uh, negative effects on finances if they pay out of pocket and for those costs, which is particularly relevant for the Medicaid population is their lower income. So um, on the system-wide cost side, it's also well-documented churning is just efficient. So the cost of one Medicaid beneficiary disenrolling and then re-enrolling is about 10 to 15% of average Medicaid ex- expenditures uh, for a healthy adult. So it's also been demonstrated that the longer Medicaid enrolling stay covered, uh, their average monthly Medicaid expenditures actually decline. Um, so it's really a cost-saving measure to keep those who are eligible for Medicaid enrolled continuously, and I I, I think of it sort of as low-hanging policy fruit because it really comes down to an efficiency question, um, but one that also has profound effects on individual health, access to care, and administrative costs. So that's some of the general background that inspired this project, Uh, but then there were also a flurry of studies before the Affordable Care Act um, that predicted that the issue of churning was going to be a huge issue uh, because the Affordable Care Act created uh, different types of insurance coverage that were based on income, which means that if income fluctuated, people could move between those different types that creating coverage disruptions. So there haven't really been any studies to verify whether those predictions played out. And so this work was also an attempt to do that.
1: That's fantastic. And so... Uh it's great, and it makes perfect sense. I mean, I guess uh, I've switched insurances a number of times on the commercial side, and every time I do that, I've got to research. Do I put my doctor in place? Am I able to go back in? So it makes perfect sense that we would see that on the, on the public side, too. Um, can you share a little bit more about some of the specific policies within the Affordable Care Act that you investigated as part of the project? Absolutely.
2: So I looked at two different um, insurance expansions that occurred as part of the Affordable Care Act, both, both on the private and public side. Uh, so the first was uh, the creation of the individual marketplace, uh, which in Colorado is Connect for Health Colorado. And so what I did in this project was to examine the issue of people dropping out of marketplace coverage. Uh, so the way the marketplace is designed for the majority of Coloradans is that You pick a plan during open enrollment, it starts in January, and you stay in that plan throughout the rest of the calendar year. And there are lots of reasons that someone might decide to leave that coverage. One of them is if you got a job offer that has an offer of employer-sponsored coverage, you may leave, or you didn't like your insurance, or perhaps it was too expensive. So that was something that we were trying to get at in this study, and the issue is that when people drop out, they may become uninsured. Um, but it also creates issues for in- insurance regulators and insurers who are trying to predict their overall costs and set prices based on who they project to be in their enrollment pool. Um, so we found a couple of very interesting things from this analysis of marketplace dropouts in Colorado specifically. Uh, the first is that nearly one in four marketplace beneficiaries disenroll partway through the year. So. high, right? I mean, it's about 25%. And then we also identified some factors that were associated with lower rates of disenrollment. So for example, uh, those with incomes between 100 to 250% of the federal poverty level are eligible for cost sharing reductions, which helps consumers pay for their out-of-pocket costs. So deductibles and co-payments and coinsurance. So people who receive that financial assistance actually have lower rates of disenrollment from the marketplace over time. So that is uh, basically one potential factor that is leading folks to make the decision whether to stay or leave uh, the marketplace in Colorado. Uh, We also found that young adults uh, were by far the most likely to leave early compared to older adults, uh, which again may be problematic because younger people are typically healthier. it has that implication for how you think about who's in the marketplace and what might lead people to, to leave it.
1: That makes sense, the young and healthy uh, choose to do different things with their funds when the elderly portion may need uh, to rely on the, that care and that insurance on a greater rate. This is really interesting uh, information. Um, was there anything specific that you learned about uh, either the marketplace or the Medicaid coverage specific to Colorado?
2: Uh, yeah, so so I also did a, a second project um, that, that focused more on the public side, on Medicaid. Uh, so as I touched on before, um, most evaluations of the Affordable Care Act expansions really uh, focused on snapshots in time, so um, how many people gained coverage, how, how low the uninsurance rate was, et cetera. Uh, but health insurance is dynamic and time dependent, so with this project, we really wanted to see whether not only did expansions Increase the absolute number of people who had coverage in Colorado, but was it giving them more continuous, uninterrupted, and long-lasting coverage? So, uh, in this study, we actually compared Colorado, which expanded its Medicaid program on January 1st, uh, 2014, uh, to its state neighbor, Utah. And so Utah, in this study, was a control state uh, because it did not expand its Medicaid program, and uh, so, Obviously these states are similar in some ways, not in all ways, but more similar than say Rhode Island and Colorado. Uh, so um, we compared them both because they both had all pair claims databases and we were able to uh, look at some outcomes related to com- continuous coverage in Medicaid uh, by comparing them. So uh, this is a, a really interesting study because in Colorado we found some pretty strong effects of of the Medicaid expansion in the state. So following expansion, enrollees in Colorado gained an additional three months of coverage, and were 19 percentage points less likely to experience a coverage disruption relative to their Medicaid counterparts in Utah. Um, So it's important to note that these, these findings are actually among the subgroup of Medicaid enrollees who were in the program prior to expansion, So that's your pregnant women, parents, some low-income adults, and people with disabilities. Um, But for these groups, we see that they are sustaining coverage for longer and with fewer interruptions after the implementation of the expansion there.
1: That's great to hear. I mean, great news for the population in Colorado uh, that there's less uh, disruption in the services. Has there been any research done, whether it was part of your project or, or maybe with other projects, that attempts to quantify that from a dollar standpoint. Um, just a, just thinking through kind of what the implications of that are, I would assume that that's going to result in some savings to the state.
2: Well, it, it's a really interesting question. I haven't done any work on it specifically, but I, I think there's there's sort of opposing factors because covering more people always costs more money. That's just that's just uh, a fact of providing insurance. However, there are huge efficiency gains to be had in maintaining continuous coverage over time, uh, both uh, on the cost side and, of course, in terms of um, you know providing quality care that's continuous. Uh, so I think it would be it would be very interesting to see specifically among those groups who who who, who did receive more continuous care whether there were. Efficiency gains on the cost side, and and I think that actually is something that you could examine with the all Claims Database because of the cost data that's included.
1: That's great, and that that could definitely be something we look into. Um, good segue. Just uh, would you be able to share um, your thoughts on just um, some of your experiences with the All-Payer Claims Database? So you work with them in two different states, and just be curious to to understand from your perspective. Um, What the benefits were to working with that type of data, Uh, and and also, are there things that, uh, from an all-payer database perspective, that we could be doing more of or do differently?
2: Sure, so um, I I think there's huge promise for all-payer claims databases in general, especially for, for people, entities, researchers who are interested in state health policy, because particularly on the Medicaid and the marketplace, private uh, individual market side, uh, there's very little uh, data that's available to researchers. And it's also typically quite lagged, so you can't get quite as as recent years. And given that there's been such huge policy changes in the the past five, six years, uh, since the Affordable Care Act, uh, I think that that is going to become a, a uh, source that people are going to go to more and more in terms of research. Uh, the reason I was most interested in these data sets is that typically when we interact with claims, they are siloed by payer. So you can get Medicare claims, you can get commercial claims maybe from one payer. It's very unusual to have them all in the same database and to also be able to track people as they move through different types of health insurance and in types of care. So that's very, very important aspect of our health system. You know, in the US, we have different types of insurance for different people, but we have no idea how these, how these different insurance types interact with each other and how people move through this system, uh, um, quite fragmented system. So out there claims databases are essentially the only way to use administrative data to get at that question. And, and that was one of the reasons that I was most interested um, in examining this issue using that type of data. That said, I have come come across a few uh, limitations of the data that have made that aspect of it difficult. So um, for example, there was a Supreme Court case that limited um, the participation, the the mandated participation of of self-insured employers basically, so self-insured products. And um, so that's optional for for those uh, insurers to opt in to submit their claims. And So what that means is that if I'm trying to measure the number of people that are moving between the marketplace and uh, employer-sponsored coverage, for example, I'm likely going to underestimate that value because of the lack of the self-insured claims. Um, With that said, I can look at other transitions, which are still uh, measures that have never been able to be looked at using administrative data before. So I think there um, there are drawbacks, but if definitely a useful resource and my hope is that uh, the quality of the data sets and the inclusivity and comprehensiveness um, continue to improve over time
1: thank you for that that's a great point and I know at least here in Colorado we continue to work with the um, the self-insured plans that don't have to report in we're working with them and on different ways to uh, entice them to submit their data so we've got a a more robust picture um, which is a great point Um, Are there any insights that you drew from the research in terms of how Utah and Colorado compare to the rest of the country?
2: Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll start with the study that's on the marketplace side. So uh, this is really the first study to estimate uh, marketplace disenrollment in the peer-reviewed literature. So there's not a lot to compare it to, and I think that speaks to the uniqueness of the data. However, Colorado did experience a somewhat lower dropout rate than both the national average and uh, some of the internal predictions that Connect for Health Colorado made when they were setting up and implementing the marketplace back in 2013. Um, so the national disenrollment rate was about 20%. And in, in Colorado, they estimated disenrollment to be about 30%. So we're, we're coming in with these estimates a bit lower than that at 24. Uh, so, so I think that that's a positive finding, even though it seems like a high number to begin with. Um, and then in terms of the Medicaid side um, and what we found in reductions in churning, uh, one of the co-authors who I'm working with on this study actually did a survey in Arkansas, Kentucky, and Texas, um, where he looked at uh, the impact of Medicaid expansion on smoothies continuity of care measures, and he actually did not find a difference. Uh, before and after Medicaid expansion, nor between states that took different approaches to their Medicaid expansion. So uh, in this work in Colorado, this is really a new finding that shows that Medicaid expansion appears to be an effective strategy to reduce churning in the Medicaid program, increase efficiency, and I think this has important implications for other states, namely Utah, which is voting on Medicaid expansion uh, in November on the ballot. So it's a very exciting time to be working on these issues, um, I think, in both states. Um, and so, yeah.
1: That's great to hear. And uh, I'm really pleased to, to know that the, the data, the research that's being done can help inform some of these really important policy decisions. Um, with that, um, are there any questions that came in from the, the, the group on the phone?
2: Not yet, but feel free to type it in in the Q&A box.
1: Um,
2: So, So we have one here.
1: We have a question. Are your research results published or going to be published?
2: Yes, Uh, the first study that I talked about um, in the marketplace is uh, forthcoming in the journal Medical Care, so will be available. And the second paper is in the process of being published. So it's under review right now. Um, and I'm actually working on a third project uh, with the Colorado data that specifically looks at access to care among uh, pregnant pregnant women in the postpartum period because we hypothesized that continuity of care is particularly relevant for that population after expansion. so some some forthcoming work.
1: That is a great point, and uh, there's an organization that I have done some work with in the past called Nurse Family Partnership that works very closely, and I know they've got a program up and running in Utah here in Colorado uh, that attempts to help with some of that uh, the coverage and the work with, with moms uh, right after they have their baby. So that's fantastic to hear. Um, are there any other policy recommendations that you might suggest to legislators uh, or policymakers based on your decisions or on your findings?
2: Yeah, so so I'll, I'll take the two uh, sectors, public and private separately. So in the marketplace, I think, so th- this was not a causal study, so it, it was associational, so my, my conclusions are somewhat limited, but it demonstrates that uh, this financial assistance that's given to people to help pay for the costs of the health insurance in the marketplace through premium assistance and cost-sharing reductions with out-of-pocket costs, it's something that should stick around. Uh, because it seems to be helping maintain the, the health of these markets and to keep people involved. So I think that this lends evidence to continuing to uh, provide this financial assistance and that it's having uh, meaningful effects uh, to help consumers in the marketplace with costs, um, because we particularly saw the strongest effects among those who received the most generous subsidies. So for a group that is typically vulnerable to volatility and in health insurance, this type of provision is, is really supporting them to maintain their access to care. So I think that's a, a big takeaway um, and something that has been somewhat in flux um, in sort of with the national policy debate lately. Um, and then on the, on the Medicaid side, I, I think, you know, um, basically the idea of continuous enrollment policies. So for example, in Colorado, uh, for kids who are in Medicaid and CHIP, the state has already mandated 12 months of continuous coverage. So that means that no matter what happens to you, no matter uh, what your income fluctuations are, if you're a kid in Medicaid, you can maintain your coverage to the end of the year without having to redetermine and then potentially experiencing a lapse in coverage. And so um, something some states uh, consider doing and some have adopted, is is, is extending that 12-month continuous eligibility uh, to adults
1: as well. That's a really important point, uh, and thank you for sharing that. I know that, uh, that that extension of the coverage is is really important to those who are having access issues, uh, lost their coverage for whatever reason, and from a, a youth perspective, really important to the development of, of the kids as they move forward. Um, are there any other questions from the panel? Sarah, uh, we want to thank you for your time. Uh, this has been great getting to learn a little bit more about your research, and we're so thankful that the, uh, the data from all the payer claims databases, both in Colorado and Utah, were, were helpful. Um, we, we look forward to learning more as your research gets published, and we'll be staying in touch. Thank you so much for joining us today.